0: This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.
1: One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes.
0: Nice dress.
2: Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt.
1: Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at UH1.com. That's UH1.com.
0: The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love.
3: saints podcast if you love southampton fc despite the varied joy agony and everything in between you're in the right place as ever we'll be chatting through all things saints fc reflecting on the past few days and also the week ahead That includes the disappointing Cup exit to Brentford, the 5-2 loss against Spurs, and previewing the always exciting visit to glamorous Burnley. Alongside all that, we have the first in a new TSP monthly feature for this season, International Supporters Club, where we'll venture around the world to give you a flavour of those Saints fans in more far-flung parts of the globe, than Hampshire. This episode sees us head to South America as we speak to Francisco in Argentina. More on that later. Our regular TSP panel, Steve Glenn and Dan Sheldon, are literally chomping at the bit, uh, I think, to give their views and opinions. Evening, chaps. Evening. Very Evening. Very enthusiastic. Very enthusiastic. <laughs> yeah. <kid>. <laughs> Can't <laughs> um, wait. <laughs> I know. Look, look, Steve, we'll come on to uh, some of those games in a minute, but I have to say we've only been going a week and uh, I feel like I'm missing the tranquility of the summer already
2: yeah it was um it was a very innocent time wasn't it where <laughs> where we where we thought we'd be vaguely competent and <laughs> oh, oh look um, yeah. i mean actually I, I I think going going forward we we were very good today, but i mean you can't you can't go into games needing to win a game seven
3: five or yeah. seven six it's ridiculous indeed and uh, absolutely yeah. carnage I know. I know. And and Dan, your paper, I I um I know I retweeted it during the week. There was a survey that the uh, Athletic did with uh, fans just before the season started. Top of the list, 98.9% optimism factor was Southampton fans. I dare say it's a little bit lower than 98.9% now,
4: Dan. Yeah, I'd love to see what it is now. As uh, <laughs> yeah. I had a funny conversation with the um the writer that wrote that. It was essentially uh, uh you know for F's sake, they've signed two players and lost nine 0 last season. Why are they so optimistic? <laughs> how right he was
3: so yeah exactly but uh, how's your week been it's going been. And, and and more importantly um, I know obviously as I say we're going to talk about the games but uh, sign pasting down what you've got coming up this week for us in the athletic that we can uh, look forward to to take our mind off uh, on pitch activity
4: so today we will be a look at the new high line that Ralph has been playing yeah, we love uh, that, yeah. later in the week is a big kind of explainer which has taken a little bit of while, a little while to kind of get together on the MSD holdings loan and the proposed takeover from the american right yeah joseph de Groza, so quite a big look at that uh with a few sources and yeah that looking forward to putting that one out there we've been working on it for a, a little while now yeah brilliant that no it's good it's it's
3: good to see some of the uh varied pieces coming off and uh speaking of uh professional writing glenn it's good to see uh league one minus 10 back uh having uh obviously dusted off the typewriter it's sadly not been too positive and i can't imagine it's going to be too positive this week either now
1: uh no yeah, it's been um, yeah, it's been a joy to be writing about the uh, performances that I've been uh, I've been viewing the last couple of weeks. It's yeah, it's, it sort of makes me uh, makes me happy to be alive and uh, happy that I started the damn thing eleven years ago. And it's kind of a, like a millstone around my neck now. So I have to keep going. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, such is life. It would be boring if it was uh, easy all the exactly, time. That,
3: exactly. That's what I always find when I'm doing my pod notes. You don't you know you never feel like there's nothing to write about. Before you know it, you've got about six pages.
1: <laughs> I actually quite enjoy it when things are rubbish. I don't know, it appeals to some part of my, uh, Part of my nature that, uh.
4: (laughs) It's the Southampton way, isn't it? So there we go.
1: So no,
3: excellent. Well, hopefully we can uh, cheer each other up a little bit over the next sort of 45 minutes or so. It's going to take some effort, I reckon. But uh, just finally before we get going, a polite reminder to our patrons that our first TSP VIP event will take place this coming Thursday, the 24th, 8pm UK time. Uh, The invite details are all in your patron.com slash total saints podcast inbox. So we hope to see you there. Um, We're also now on Amazon.com's brand new podcast site. You may have seen that they've started to release uh, podcasts through their music site, so they got in touch a few weeks back to uh, get our uh, RSS feed. So you can now find us on music.amazon.com slash podcast if you just look up Total Saints Podcast. There we are. And if you like using Amazon as your preferred listening method, you'll find TSP on there. So, okay, underpinned by you, TSP patrons, in partnership with saintsworld.co.uk and totalsaints.co.uk, this is TSP 129. This is the Total Saints Podcast with Ben Stanfield, Steve Grant, Glenn Delacour, and the Athletics' Dan Sheldon. Saints captain poor first week back in action with their third defeat in three, losing 5-2 to Spurs at St Mary's. Um, Just a quick reminder that this is a family show, Chaps, uh, and it does obviously feel like a a bit of a counselling session probably tonight, as many of them have done before. But uh, Steve, obviously we'll come on to talk about some of the key factors uh, over the next sort of little while. But I wrote down one word here, probably one of many that many people could choose, and that was frustrating I went with in the end. Um, annoying,
2: irritating, shambolic, um, laughable. There, there are there are so many adjectives that you could possibly use in this in this situation. And it was so frus- and frustrating is another one because we've we've got ourselves into a brilliant position in this game. We were absolutely battering them for the vast majority of that first half, and we give away a stupid goal right on half time. And and then the defence just decides, nope, we're just gonna we're just gonna basically set up an instant replay of that goal four times um in in the next half an hour and it was just it was just extraordinary just to like I was watching it on watching it on TV but it was one of those situations where you thought hang on is 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 the stream repeating itself here it was it was like it was like the stream was buffering or something and I was I was having to watch the same 2 minute incident over and over again and and yet the score was incrementing every time and it's just like what how are we not learning
3: from this it's absolutely ridiculous yeah. And the weird thing, Glenn, you, you know, as we were just sort of discussing before we started there, we were just trying to sort of motivate each other and get each other going. That the first 44 minutes
1: or so, we actually looked pretty decent and had quite a few chances. Yeah, we did. But that's that's us in a nutshell. We've yes. got a decent start in 11, but you can't play the decent start in 11 at full intensity for 90 minutes of every match. Mm. There's, you know, there comes, there comes a point where it all... Sp- you know, inevitably falls apart as, as people drop off. But that, that first half was, was probably the ideal way that Ralph wants to play. And we did do it very well. Um, we got away with the high line until they equalized because we were all over them in midfield. So they didn't have time to get their heads up and pick the passes, which they obviously did in the second half. So first half, yeah, we, we deserve to be in front. It's another brilliant goal by Danny Ings. We should have been, Further in front, you know, I thought he had a decent game, but Che Adams, oh, he just misses so many chances. If he even buried some of them, you know, this, this, as Steve was saying, this game could have been sort of out of sight at half time, but. You know, instead of being two 0 up or whatever, we we go in one one and and it all goes wrong from that point on. Yeah, and look, Dan, I won't steal your thunder because you've obviously mentioned that you'll be
3: reflecting on the uh, infamous new high line in the Athletic this week. But I know you sort of questioned, challenged, explored, whatever you want to call it, the apparent new high line with Ralph in the pre-Spurs press conference. Um, suffice to say, well, the defending in general was shambolic second half. The high line
4: and ease with which Spurs sort of got through time and time again really didn't help. No, and I think. You know, with the players Southampton have got at the back, I think don't get me wrong. Kyle Walker-Peters, he's he's obviously pretty quick. Bednarek and Stevens aren't exactly the quickest of centre halves, and then Bertrand is the other side of 30. Not that that mean that that doesn't make him slow, but you know he's probably not as fast as he once was. And when you've got someone like Son running through I mean and you're almost standing on the halfway line and it's a straight race to the ball which is 30 yards in front there's only going to be one winner I think the next couple of games there may be opportunities where the high line could be a little bit more effective against Burnley and West Brom who perhaps don't have the kind of pace and players that Spurs have got but no yeah I mean I can't really add much more than what the other guys have said you know Ralph kind of after the game lamented the fact that Romeo was getting close to almost going to get himself sent off so he had to come off and then Smallbone came on in a difficult game really to come into when you're losing and try and make an impact and then they just continue to dominate that kind of midfield area and just ping balls over the top which Son was going to win all day long. Mm. And just, just on that Dan I mean obviously I think some of us uh, we start sweating profusely
3: when we think of even continuing to play this new high line against anyone. But uh, we obviously had some really good success post-lockdown. You know, it felt like there was momentum coming into the start of the season. And a bit like last year, you know, I think if I remember we were playing four during all pre-season at the back and then suddenly that first game of the season we played five at the back. You know, I know you don't know the answer to this, Dan, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Why has Ralph
4: changed it? I think, you know, if I was going to take an, an educated guess, I'd say it's probably got something to do with VAR and trying to catch players out offside more often than not which yeah, it's great. I mean, it worked in the first half. It uh, didn't obviously work in the second half. It's hard. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how he thinks. So it, that's kind of a, a tough question to answer. But, you know, we saw from last season, you know, it took him a while to change the five at the back. I don't get the impression that he's going to be changing this after three games. Mm, yeah. And Glenn, I mean, um, again, we were just discussing before we uh, start and we
3: speak about it last week about improving our home form this year. Of course, that's already two pretty convincing defeats out of two now. And uh, Brentford had six shots on target, scored two. It was like the good old days today as well.
1: Spurs had six shots on target, Glenn scored five. So pretty concerning. Uh, yes, it is. You know, what can I say? I've already touched on the, you know the fact that Adams misses his chances. There was one stage in the second half where Son had had three chances and Adams had had three chances. And they were all equally presentable. And their guy had scored three. Now, let's not get away from the fact you look at Spurs bench just a, as a general gauge for how good their squad is. Lamella, Sissoko, lacelso Celso, Hart, Bergwijn, Alderweireld, Aurier. That's, that's a brilliant bench for anybody. With and, with and, uh, someone to come at with, some point in with, the next year. Yeah, <laughs> with, with, with Deli Alley not even picked yeah. and Gareth Bale coming in. <laughs> now, and we've got four kids, Shane Long. And a goalkeeper, you know, it's just it's just mental, and the 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 difference that Lacelso made when he came on, and the I'm not blaming Smallbone, but it's not his fault. He got thrown into that game. He's not ready for it. There there are some mitigating factors, but yeah, I mean our our, our defending. I mean the the other thing that the Highline relies on is defenders reading the game and concentrating and getting their positions right. You know, so if the midfield is not winning. You, not winning challenges or not pressuring the ball. You've got to drop off. And we're all stood on the halfway line with our arms up like idiots. Um, and S- Jack Stevens, uh, you know, I know he's improved massively, la- you know, last season, but he was awful today. Absolutely awful. And it wasn't just, it wasn't just his positioning. It was, I mean, the second goal, Son just walked past him. It was, it was such a weak challenge. It's like, what are you doing? So. There's a lot of players out there and I, I, I call out Stevens. I'd call out Bednarek or Prowse. Then they're, they're nowhere near the levels they were at at the tail end of last season. And, and, and if we, if we drop away from those levels, we're, we're just not good. You know, if everybody's not, if everybody's on it and in the other team's face, then we're a good side. And as Ralph said at the tail end of last season, we've got to pressure teams all the time. We've got to run more than them. We've got to do more than them because they're, in, in the main, better, better individual players than we have. And that's uh, that was certainly the case today. I mean, and we just didn't do it.
4: I mean, I don't think it, it counts for too much, but the scoreline did massively flatter Spurs, I thought. Well, yeah, it did. But I Spurs think, weren't yeah. that good for five think, minutes. And thanks could have been 2 0 up, 3 0 up, probably should have been. And then Adams had another good chance just after half time. They missed. He missed that, and then Son went in and scored. Okay, so I, I, I think it's yeah, almost for, like the story Spurs of being a Saints that, fan, Spurs though, Dan. That, 45, that first
2: 45 minutes, they were dreadful. Mm. Yeah, they were. And but we they, don't post those, do we? We never have yeah, done. Yeah, exactly. And, and that, that was the problem, whereas we had... I mean, even, it was weird that it, in the second half, even as we were shipping all, the, all those goals, we still looked a threat when we got forward. Um, we still looked as if we could pick holes in, in that Spurs defence, and we created chances, but the difference being that we hit everything straight at Hugo Lloris. Like, I mean, Glenn said, Glenn said earlier about the, that chance early in, in the first half where, I mean, Larice has pulled off what looks like a brilliant save, but, I mean, he stood in the middle of the goal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, you put, you put it like anywhere near the, either corner and he's scoring that. The keepers getting nowhere near it. Mm. So it's, it's about, putting the ball in the right areas when when you're shooting so you're actually causing the keeper to to have a problem as opposed to I mean Larissa I don't think he's had any had a save where he's had to actually dive full length for it
3: yeah and Steve you know I'm going to come on and touch this with Dan in a minute but you know we know Ralph has already mentioned this week that they need a, another number 6 or someone in there to plug that gap. You know, he's not had a great start to the season, to be fair to him. He, he ended last season really well, Oriol Romeo, and I don't want to just pick on him, but, you know, it almost felt like the game turned today because he, d- he got himself booked so early, and as Dan said, he was pretty much a red card waiting to happen. I, I know, incredibly, he's never had one in his career yet, but again, it's like, you know, he's just a regular yellow card. He got it so early, it meant that they had to change it literally after Spurs went 2-1 up, and then it kind of, you know, just meant that there was no physicality in the midfield. As, as Glenn said, La came on, did a good job, but they were just carving through us by that stage.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think also if um, if Romeo hadn't had that early booking, their equaliser doesn't happen because Romeo takes the booking on half on just on half time. Yeah, because when Ndombele turned both him and War Prowse in the same move. Romeo, would just, it just, if he's not on a booking, he just pulls him back, takes the yellow card, and we reset and and get ourselves back into position. But yeah, having got that booking so early on, I mean, I think the ref the ref had a relatively good game, but it was it was noticeable how every single foul that we made in the first half resulted in a booking, Um, whereas Ben Ben Davis got away with kicking Walker Peters up in the air twice at least in the first half. And then I think it was Teller. I think he, he booted in the, in the second half and he, and the yellow card stayed in the, in the referee's pocket for him. So that was, that was a slight frustration, a little bit of inconsistency, but kind of something you relatively come to expect, but. Yeah, we've, we've got to, got to be a little bit smarter, I think, in terms of...
3: that's what I was going to say. I mean, he's, you know, he's, he's, he's 28 now. So again, I'm not just picking on him. It's just at the moment, he's kind of the most experienced, you know, age-wise in that midfield. So, do you think Romeo needs to show, I mean, we know he loves a tackle. We know it was on Hoiberg. They probably G'd themselves up in the training room. First chance you get, crunch him, that sort of thing. But does he need to show a little bit more responsibility, maybe, the situation we're in at the moment where we haven't got a plethora of midfielders? Perhaps. But then I think if you
2: if you try and get him to play a, a sort of more stand standoffish game, then I think you lose you lose the player that he is. Um, I agree. The, the problem, the problem being that War prowse seems to be massively out of form at the moment. So while while you've got the two of them alongside each other and, and obviously we saw in in the towards the back end of last season that those two together can can play really well and can produce excellent team performances when one or both of them are off their game then teams can just teams teams can just run through us and that's that's where the strength in depth and having another option there uh, comes in and that's that's where that's where we're struggling at the moment and I think I mean obviously time will tell given that we've still got what two two and a half weeks till the um, till the end of the transfer window? But I think not having strengthened that position before having let Harrison Reed and Mario Lemina leave to Fulham is. Possibly going to cost us cost us points in the short term in in a run of games that we I mean we all we all sat here when the fixtures came out what six six weeks or so ago and said oh that that looks like a rather conv- rather kind and um, and gentle um, start to the season we could we could
3: actually make a positive start for once um, and yeah look where we are here we are Dan you know I, th- I thought Ralph sounded fairly sort of internally frustrated even when he spoke before the Spurs game about the Brentford game and the Palace game so obviously today's not going to help but again we've only sort of seen externally the comments that he made afterwards about the strength of the squad and they need some you know signings in that midfield position and things like that and do, do you get the sort of sense that he's starting to get a little frustrated because I know when Martin Simmons obviously spoke to Glenn and I it was very much on the view that at the moment as long as we don't have too many injuries we're probably okay etc cetera, etc cetera. but Ralph seems to think
4: otherwise no I think um the fact that uh, every opportunity he's kind of put in front of the media, he does say, "We need, I need new players, I need new players." I think that's quite telling. Say it once, people take notice. Say it twice, again, people listen. me. he says it every single time. Uh, he said it again tonight after they lost. I think the club are looking at options. I, I think if they bring someone in, it will probably probably be a loan deal. Um, from someone I've spoken to, the, they kind of explained how the, the transfer market sort of has sort of come to life over the last week, and now they, you know, they feel that the club could be in a position to capitalise on perhaps the bigger teams making new signings and maybe trying to get one of their players on loan. Uh, and then, to, you know, a bonus would be if they can sign a, a young midfielder who, like Salisu, will be one for the future. Yeah, I mean,
3: alongside that as well, Dan, it seems an obvious thing to say, but we'll obviously come to preview Burnley in a little while and things like that, but it's clear to all of us, I think, that, you know, Ralph and Saints, just they just need to get a result to get them going, you know, and then that frustration will start to maybe turn into a bit more positive momentum.
4: Yeah, I think so. And, I mean, I know the first kind of segment of this podcast has been all doom and gloom, but I think we should touch on a couple of positives today. One was Gennepo, I thought, was pretty good. Uh, and yeah, Danny, he was, he was s- excellent, I thought, Gennepo. Danny Ying scored a brilliant first goal and then obviously got a penalty uh, later on. So the fact he's scoring again, I think, is good going forward uh, into the next few games. But yeah, I think you just. Southampton strike me as a team that, you know, if they lose one, they can easily lose two, three, four. If they win one, they can equally go and win two, three, four, five. So yeah, it's just going to be a case of getting that win. Um, and luckily for them, I mean like Steve said, we all kind of thought, well, they'd have an easier start to the season and I don't want to write Burnley off because obviously Southampton have got a poor record at Turf Moor. But if they can go there and then kind of follow that up with another good result against West Brom and then you're thinking, well... Six points after four games, it's probably not the worst thing in the world. No, I agree, yeah. Uh, I desperately, I promise you, when I was doing my notes down, I was desperately trying to
3: find positives. I think you probably covered all of them there, but, uh, Glenn, just to bring us back down to earth again, um, I know it's still early in the season, um, and I don't want to get too carried away, and I don't think we should, but we're already essentially minus six points down on last year, because of course we beat Palace away and then we beat Spurs at home, so that's
1: not ideal either. Uh, no, it's not. Yeah. I mean, I can't, can't really say any more than that. Today, for me, the positive was that in the first half, we showed what we're about or what we should be about. And in and in the second half, we show the complete opposite, but that was the positive for me today. Gineppo, as Steve's just said, was excellent. Um, we go back to the squad size thing. Gineppo is the one player in the sort of front six positions who can come in. And make a difference if we assume Boo fouls on his way. You know, other than that, you know, any player who comes into the side makes it weaker. In, in, in my opinion, we, we don't have anyone to bring in, but Gineppo was a massive, was a massive positive. You know, defensively, we, we've just got to uh, hope Selasu hits the ground running and he can provide, if nothing else, some motivation for Stevens and Bednarek to, to actually improve. Because you know, just having a bit of competition might might make them improve. You know, in my opinion, it's not just a central midfielder we need; it's just we need a striker and a winger as well. Because we just don't don't look like much off the bench at the moment. But um, but there you go. I think that's the issue. It was good to have Stuart Armstrong back, wasn't it? But is that strength and depth? And
3: I, I think it was interesting. You know, when you and I spoke to again when we spoke to Martin Simmons, obviously about keeping the the squad sort of fairly niche now in terms of what Ralph wants to select from when you think back to Ralph Kruger was talking about two players for every position and we maybe went from one extreme to the other didn't we but uh, now it feels like we need to maybe try and find that balance but Steve Steve, just to finish off on this week and again I know it's all disappointing but unfortunately the results are just uh, indicated I, I don't want us to just sort of brush over the, the Carabao Cup exit either because again when Glenn and I spoke to, to Martin Simmons recently he reiterated like all of us that the club wanted to have a, a good Cup run in, in both um, competitions this season so again failing at the first attempt and to be fair, without many excuses, I think we were soundly beaten. Is um, disappointing for everyone.
2: It is. In this situation, you do still give credit to Brentford. They played. They played well. Although, I mean, we we still created plenty of chances in that game. It wasn't as if it wasn't as if they outplayed us. They had a they had a five-minute spell just before half-time where they took two two chances. One. I mean, absolutely ridiculous free header from a corner. And this, the second the second goal was just really well worked, to be fair. I think it's just one of those you, you kind of have to hold your hands up and say they were better than us in that situation. But we created chances. And to be honest, given the lacklustre showing at Sellers Park on Saturday, to then have that another 90 minutes of pretty much the same starting 11, I think that then gave us the – I think that was setting us up for the energy that we needed – and we displayed in the first half today against Spurs, I think. So I don't think it was all, it was like everything from that Brentford game was all bad. I think particularly getting, getting the minutes in the legs for everybody um, was very useful. Obviously we'd have, we'd have wanted to win the game, but I think given the way that the Carabao cup is being condensed this season into, into this, I mean, the first four rounds are being played over the, over four consecutive midweeks. So I mean, we now kind of have a bit of a bit of a benefit in that we've now got a full week to attack this Burnley game with, which we haven't had for like the last three weeks. Obviously, with players away on international duty caused us issues before the Palace game, and obviously we had Brentford this week, so the preparation for Spurs was was limited. Which obviously, I mean, Spurs were in the same in the same boat because of their uh, trip to uh, Bulgaria. I mean, Spurs have got. I mean, as Glenn mentioned earlier, you look at Spurs' bench; pretty much every one of those players gets in our first team. For for the big clubs to whinge about having to having all these extra games, it's like well that's why you have a big squad, and you have the budget to to be able to afford to do so. Whereas the the, the smaller clubs in in relative terms like us, we have to we have to maintain a, a core squad of I don't know maybe eighteen players. You then you're then kind of at the whim of injuries, suspensions loss of form and hoping that someone from the academy ste- um, steps up. I mean Smallbone had. Had two or three games at the back end of last season where he looked good. He came on today and basically just got overrun, which which will happen in his in his sort of first year or two. You would think that's that's going to be that's going to be a situation that's going to happen regularly. And I think maybe the one the one thing you might have got out from the Brentford game was was an idea of players possibly playing themselves out of the team. But we pretty much stuck with it, didn't we? It was only only Nathan Teller who who was dropped down to the bench and I mean he again he looked he looked all right when he came on today I thought um so there's there 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 is promise there but I think I think now that now that that Brentford game's out of the way you'd have wanted to win it but I think given the circumstances I think losing it might not necessarily be too much of a negative
3: yeah no that makes sense and uh yeah just finally on that Brentford game then uh Dan Steve sort of hit the nail on the head there because I was uh, trying to look for positives from that and one potential was, of course, uh, Nathan Teller making his full debut, the 21-year-old playing 84 minutes. as you know, I asked Ralph in the press conference on Friday what he'd made of Teller's debut and the potential he has to be more, you know, included in the sort of regular Premier League squad and, and Ralph said he thought he did okay against Brentford, commenting how intense Teller was and that he'd undertook a lot of high speed runs, but was maybe lacking that sort of final pass or final finish. But he definitely summarised that he absolutely wasn't disappointed with him or anything like that and as Steve said there, Dan, I thought he'd looked okay when he came on today. So given the sort of general performance against Brentford was pretty meh from Saints and the result was obviously disappointing, what did you sort of make a att- and potentially the the impact he can make on the, the you know the first team
4: squad this season no I thought he looked quite exciting against Brentford and like I say he did well when he came on today you know it's still early doors and obviously teams haven't been able to watch probably watch any footage of him and that would probably be the case for a good good few weeks so I'd, I'd probably use that to Southampton's advantage if about was Ralph you know I remember talking to raddy Jaidi recently and he was sort of raving about Nathan teller because I know I'm pretty sure he had a pretty nasty injury playing for the under 23s in a yeah, I think he did, yeah. Premier League International Cup semi-final at St Mary's where he went off in the first half and he kind of fought his way back from that had to go through surgery etc that in itself is quite a good story for him to now be at this moment where he's made his second Premier League game because I think he came on against Norwich if I'm right in thinking last, last yeah, season right, yeah, yeah. but no yeah I mean I'm sure Southampton fans you know everyone likes to see the next player as well coming through the academy if he can be the the next one to make an impact in the team i'm sure everyone will be happy indeed indeed well we'll see what happens there right let's change tact slightly
3: here is our first in a new monthly feature of tsp's international supporters club preaching francisco down in argentina
1: total saints podcasts international supporters club
3: Okay, it's time for our first TSP International Supporters Club as we chat to various fellow Saints fans around the world. Either overseeing or part of a Saints supporters group, we hope to bring you a flavour of what it's like following Saints from another country or even another continent. And this week we're heading to South America as we catch up with Francisco, the man behind Southampton FC Argentina, the Argentinian supporters of Saints. Francisco, welcome to TSP International Supporters Club. Lovely to have you on. Um I just wondered if you could tell us a little bit about yourself and you know where you're based city wise and, and how you started following Saints.
5: Well, how I started to follow Saints, it's a difficult question because I there's no one main reason. First, uh Saints in Spanish is Santos and it's what one of my team nicknames, San Lorenzo. The Pope's team, if you know. Yeah. Um, well, I started to play with Saints in computer games like Championship Manager or, mm-hmm. or a play-by-mail competition that I used to run. Yeah. So it all started with that.
3: Brilliant. And uh, I know you've been over to St. Mary's a couple of times
5: as well. Is that right? I've been to St. Mary's, I think, eight times. And, and what's the best game that you've seen? The best game was... Against Everton, we won 2 none, Yep. and 2 own goals <laughs> from Everton. Oh, yeah, I remember, that, remember
3: that one. One was very in the first minute, I think, wasn't it?
5: Yes, yes. 2014, yeah. I guess it was yeah. that time.
3: And you were just telling me that your first game was against Reading, is that right?
5: Reading, yes, with Jason Punch and goal. A cold day. <laughs> in November, I think it was.
3: Excellent, excellent. And you're based in uh, Buenos Aires?
5: Yes, in Buenos Aires.
3: Just telling me as well that your job is that you're a, you're a shopkeeper there. Is that correct?
5: Yes, I have a shop. We sell tobacco and stuff like that. Many things. Fishing yeah. stuff and knives and to eat asado. You know, you should try Argentinian meat. Yeah? <laughs> yes. And stuff like that.
3: Brilliant. And what's the name of your shop? If any Saints fans are traveling the world, Francisco, and they end up in Buenos Aires, what's the name of your shop?
5: It's my surname. So it's Furcade House. Casa Furcade.
3: Brilliant. Obviously, you own and, and run the supporters club there in Argentina. So I think it started around about 2013, Francisco. But tell me a bit about you know how it started, how you decided to set up a, a group, and then Saints fans out there that you kind of connect with.
5: Well, it first started with Trevor Foy from Australia. He, he contacted me and, and he told me that we had to make a, an Argentinian Facebook page. Then I started by my own the Twitter account that I, I managed still today. It has like five, six years, I don't remember right now. It's hard to have a, an Argentinian group first because until this year, I used to work on Saturday morning. Mm-hmm. So it's the time we have the games. So most of the times, uh, I couldn't watch the games. Yeah. Uh, we meet once, one time, in when we play the final against United. We met in a pub. It was full of United fans, and we were like uh, three Saints fans. From, they were from England, I was the only Argentine, Yeah.
0: yeah. But, but
5: yes. In 2018, I was invited to the British Embassy by the ambassador because of the Saints fan Twitter account to watch the England Belgium game of the World Cup.
3: Yeah, and it's kind of grown from there then. I mean, obviously, I imagine the Saints have done better in the Premier League it's it's sort of what giving you more opportunity to kind of watch them and follow them and and you said there I mean obviously if it's a three o'clock game on a Saturday that'll be what eleven o'clock in the morning for you so hard to maybe watch them sometimes
5: yes because there are only two channels that put the Premier League games on many of them are City games United games Liverpool games and all of that but now that we are done having football here in Argentina most of Saints games are on TV so that's Mm great
3: And, and what's it like following them? I mean, obviously, as you say, we know that globally there's lots more support around for the big teams, the top six and things like that. So is it is it nice to be sort of a bit more unique and, and follow a team like Saints than maybe one of the, the sort of Liverpools or Manchester Uniteds?
5: Of course, yes. I'm kind of, how do you say, the world is a priest of Southampton. I, I spread <laughs> the word of Southampton, not only the, the football stuff, the City too, because I love Southampton.
3: Brilliant. And uh, what's your sort of general feeling about Saints at the moment? Uh, you know, we're recording just after Crystal Palace, but maybe over the last sort of 12, 18 months, you know, with Ralph Fars and Hutu and things like that, what's your view on Saints at the moment? Are you excited?
5: Yes, we are having a good game. We are, uh, we are being offensive. We were not offensive with previous managers.
3: Hmm.
5: Pellegrino, sorry about that.
3: <laughs> he's back in Argentina now, I think, isn't <laughs>
5: yeah. he? Uh, I think, yes, he's in Argentina right yeah. now.
3: And who's your favourite Saints player at the moment? Who do you enjoy watching the most in the current team, Francisco?
5: In the current team, of course, Danny Ings.
3: Danny Ings, yeah. yeah yes. no. What about the um, the coverage and, and content? I mean, obviously, as you say, you'll get a lot through television, but Saints have obviously worked hard with their social media. You know, we know that they do a lot. How, how do you find it with trying to keep up to to date with the sort of coverage and content that the club provides? I mean, does that kind of help you get a good flavour of what's going on in and around yes, yes. St. Mary's and Staplewood? Yeah?
5: Yes, many times. I'm happy with the communications of the club. They they gave me a shirt uh, the first time I went to Southampton. And now, oh, yes, they are in good touch with the people on social media.
3: That's good. And uh, if there was one thing they could potentially do better to help you and the supporters group out there, I mean, what what would it potentially be? I mean, I know your Twitter site is in Spanish and things like that. I mean, would it be better if they maybe had content that was in other languages as well.
5: It would be nice that, like many other teams, like Swansea, they make the other countries' accounts kind of official fans' accounts. Yeah. And that would be great for us maybe fan official accounts.
3: yeah yeah I see what you mean so yeah no no excellent all right and uh, just finally then um, in terms of your social media details and things like that Francisco um, it's not necessarily just about people based in Argentina I'm sure if there's Saints fans that were interested in connecting with you or following some of your posts and things like that how and where can they find you where's your sort of Facebook groups and Twitter accounts what's the details
5: well you can find Southampton Argentina in Facebook and Saints IRG in Twitter
3: So, at Saints ARG and Twitter and uh, the Facebook group, Southampton Argentina.
5: And Instagram, same as Twitter. All right. And uh, have you got any
3: plans just finally, Francisco? I I know lockdown and COVID and things like that are uh, big in the world. We know travel's hard at the moment, but are you hoping to get back to St. Mary's at some point soon?
5: Yes, of course. Every year I try to go to Southampton. I manage my trips around Southampton. So, when I manage a, a trip... First I check the the schedule of the games and I decide about that game.
3: Just finally then, final final question. If you had to predict where Saints are gonna finish in the, the Premier League this season, Francisco, where do you think they're gonna end up?
5: I hope far from the low part. I don't want to be thinking about that. <laughs> so I will be happy with mid table. Yeah. I think the economy situation of the club is not the greatest. But well we have to we believe in the team. Fantastic well
3: it's been brilliant to speak to you I mean I'm sure lots of Saints fans that are listening to this would echo you know it's great to know that there's people like you that are spreading the word of the city and the football club around the world and you know around Buenos Aires and uh, Argentina so thank you for joining us on our very first international supporters club Francisco really appreciate it.
5: Thank you.
1: You're listening to the Total Saints podcast. Going to the heart of all things Saints FC.
3: A big thanks again to Francisco for joining us. Watch this space to see where we head off to next month. OK, next up for Saints, it's a trip to Turf Moor to play Burnley. Glenn, not a very happy hunting ground for us over the years. I was working out just two wins at Burnley since 1976. I know that they've not been in the top division lots, but uh, again, in terms of record, as Steve will know, we beat them twice, 3-2 in back-to-back season, September six october 07 other than that very barren glenn yeah
1: well i don't I don't really care about much past the last couple of seasons. It'll be the usual feast of flow in football that you'll always get up there. Um, you know, they'll keep the ball on the ground, play play at high pace, lots of passing and all, all that sort of stuff. No, they won't. They'll just launch it up to Chris Wood and hope that Joe Rodriguez gets a flick on. Um, I love the pillorying I get from Burnley fans every year on Twitter. It's, it's, it's always amazing. You know, you just think you know us. No, I, I know what you're like. You just smash the ball long. <laughs> it's rubbish. It's rubbish football, and the most annoying thing about it is that they always beat us. Um, and and know, it's yeah, it's rubbish, but it works. Yeah, um, that's um, the most annoying <laughs> thing about Yeah, like West and Ham. It, it, we, you yeah. know, we've got to go into the. I mean, personally, I, I would play a proper defensive line, and I would pick Vestergaard for this game because that's you know he he showed it works, he it,
2: worked so well against them
1: last time. Yeah, he was awful <laughs> last time. <laughs> To yeah. be fair, that was so his be, debut. I yeah, but to say, be yeah. fair, he—he's the last couple of games he's come in against Bournemouth when they launched everything, and against Watford when they launched everything, he did okay. So I, I would certainly look at putting him in, especially given the way that our centre-halves are playing at the moment. I don't think that would be a bad thing at all. Which one? So, toss a coin, st- essentially? Stevens, at yeah. the moment. Um, I just just thought he was so bad today, and he's he's been poor in uh, both games. But yeah, it's it's interesting because I I kind of
2: like Betnarek has always seems seems to have been. I mean, obviously since Hazantil came in, he's kind of been ever present. But yeah. he seems to have been kind of just assumed that he's good, and I'm yeah. not, I'm kind of not sure we can make that assumption at the moment. Like there were, there were a few games in like even in the restart where he got bailed out by other people, and and he was. Just losing concentration and, and things like that. All, all yeah. things that ob- obviously, we've we've thrown it and um, deservedly so at Stevens in the past. I think Bed- Bednarak needs to needs to come under a little bit of scrutiny as
1: well. Yeah, yeah, but- he does. You're, you're right. I mean, to be honest, it is a toss of a coin as to which one you leave out, because I've noticed a worrying trend with both of them to just leave their runner it's the old ball watching mark in space and space doesn't score goals it's the forward that you've left alone that scores the goals so why don't you just get back to basic defending you know we know what we're going to get at Burnley and we've got to be up we've got to be up for the battle the defenders have got to you know have got to defend properly playing a high line against Burnley then they're not blessed with pace up front so it may work but personally I hope I hope we abandon that um, and we don't need an international break before one of these uh, Ralph resets which we had to wait for last year you know it's it's a different game obviously against Burnley than it is against Tottenham and we've got to we've got to play a different way there's no reason why we can't get a result there because at the end of the day they're not that good but we have to counter what they are good at and play the long game and try and nick it 1-0 yeah it's
3: interesting isn't it there's been a lot of chat this week about uh, fitness and I suppose Glenn when you're talking about defenders uh, a lot of the defending is the fitness is in the mind isn't it but um yeah as um, as Glenn sort of said there Steve more recently of course it's uh, no wins in seven for Saints against Burnley home or away so do you, do you think it is just their sort of direct tactics and their physicality or do you think it's just been that you know one of those sort of bogey sides that whatever we do they seem to just sort of nick a game against us here and there and um, you know it'll take a while to overcome that
2: I think a li- little bit of a little bit of everything. Yeah. Um, I mean, they Yeah, I mean, we we had, we had that game a couple of years back where we, uh, Redmond scored a great goal to put us one 0 up, and we we then missed a host of chances, yeah. and Sounds we like then gift, penalty in the ninety fourth minute. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, we then gift them a penalty uh, five minutes into injury time, and I mean those those sort of boneheaded, uh, stupid uh, mistakes. Yeah, they caught co- they cost That was you Jack yet.
3: Stevens as well.
2: it was, yeah. it was. Yeah. And, uh, up against Peter Frank, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Um, And I mean, there there are certain there are certain situations where we are obviously notoriously bad. And that is basically when the opposition gets desperate and lumps, lumps the ball into the box ad infinitum at massive centre forwards who are beating us in the air every time. And Burnley will always do that in situations where they're um, where they're winning, losing or drawing because they know they're good at it and they know that we're bad at it. It's it's just pure Basic management from on, on Sean Deutsch's part to pick apart bits that the opposition is bad at, bits that you're good at and kind of marry the two together. And, and Burnley, have got, Burnley have got the wood over us at the moment. And I mean, there's, we can go there and win. There's absolutely no doubt that we've got the ability to do it. It's whether you get those, those 50-50 calls, the little marginal things go in your favour, like even, even things as, as minute as like the second, the second ball off of, off of a long ball header. If the ball just happens to flick, uh, flick down and, and end up at the feet of their striker, I mean, that happens. But if they're, they suddenly start falling your way, then maybe the maybe the cards fall cards fall in your direction for once.
3: Yeah. Dan, look, in terms of Burnley, we know there's more more than one way to skin a cat, but um yeah, last season they finished tenth, the season before that fifteenth, the season before that seventh, and then the season before that which was their return to the Premier League sixteenth. Um so I guess they're a bit of a, a yo yo side, but you know, certainly appear probably well established in the top division again now and obviously they're comfortable with the style of play even though it doesn't maybe attract uh, all of us that watch uh,
4: the game as neutrals no and i think you know it's perfectly in burnley's prerogative to play to their strengths and if that is to play football that some may perceive isn't exactly glamorous then and that keeps them in the premier league then you know good luck to them and should let, let them carry on doing it we often see with sort of clubs that come up from the championship that stay a few years they get the fans get kind of delusions of grandeur and they think they should be like challenging for the Europa League and top floor. So they sack a manager and then all of a sudden they're back in the championship. I think I mean, I, I don't particularly like watching Burnley play football. Uh, it doesn't exactly excite me, but, you know, I take my hat off to them. They have their way. They stick to it and it's been successful. So, I mean, I don't think they should change it. I mean, what will be interesting, I mean, I guess many Southampton fans will be hoping that Tarkovsky gets sold this week. Uh, if someone comes in with a big enough bid, I think the last one was like £40 million pound or something. Um, so, <laughs> just I'm sure, I know, so I'm sure, you know, Southampton fans will be hoping West Ham find some, maybe another few million pounds to chuck on top of that and... No, I'm, a, I'm, surprise. I'm quite, I'm quite enjoying watching West Ham,
2: um, West Ham's defence be absolutely shambolic. I don't, I don't <laughs> even, even the possibility that they might uh, be looking to fix it.
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Until they play us and put in a worldie. But yeah, I, I oh, reckon yeah, if, uh.
2: They'll stick pretty fast this season. No, no, Different exactly, time.
3: exactly. If Tarkovsky's worth 40, I mean, he's decent, but if he's worth 40 million, then he's, uh, you know, Steve Grant's probably worth 10, I would have thought. But, uh, I, I suppose the positive and as well, frankly, then, Glenn, yes. just, just finally is that, uh, you know, Burnley away is never a nice trip. And the fact that the game's 8pm on Saturday, it's probably a blessing for Saints fans that it's, uh, still no fans that can attend, because that will be a
1: bit of a, a late trip back at sort of 10 o'clock on a Saturday night. They'll stuff the late trip. It doesn't matter what time you go to Burnley. It's horrible anyway. <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter in the slightest. So, no, I'm sure that um, I'm sure that the uh, the regular away travellers are, are quite pleased that this is one of the ones they're not going to be able to go to. But, uh, no, it, it is what it is. I shouldn't be too down on Burnley because, you know, at the end of the day it's a small club that's got itself into the Premier League and, and they're staying there and you have to have some sort of respect for that. But uh but yeah, I wouldn't want to go there too often. I've been there once before, and uh no, nah, never again.
3: No, you're right. Uh, yeah, I mean, to give them credit, they feel like a club that are well run and all that sort of thing. Do the right things, don't they? But uh, yeah, just uh, finally, Steve. I mean, I, I had it down here. You kind of mentioned it earlier. I, I suppose it is bittersweet because of the uh, the cup uh, trip. Uh, obviously, Burnley are playing pretty much now while we're recording. They've then got Millwall away during the week, so that'll be two tough games with the the Leicester game. So. You know, let's take a positive, which is Saints have got a whole week now, no excuses to work on a variety of things on the training ground and get themselves ready for that game, and, and they need to be up for it.
2: Oh, definitely. And at the end of the day, if we've if we've had a full week to plan, everybody, if everybody's fully fit, then yeah, I, I don't I don't see any reason why. I mean, this it's not a game to fear, and to be honest, it never has been. But um, we kind of have this miraculous ability to make it look. Um, like an absolute nightmare game for us it's it's a it's a winnable trip and the kind of circumstances of the game appear to be in our favor which is probably why it will go will fall flat on our face but in terms of the circumstances i think everything sets up quite nicely for us um, it's a case of whether whether we can execute those plans and stop ourselves sort of farting our brains out at the back once again because i mean that's as we said last week defensively we appear to still not have learnt anything um, and that, that is that is still a concern
3: absolutely absolutely. well I think we've uh, gone through all of the defensive cliches today uh, ending with farting out our brains so well done Steve um, right let's go for some match predictions uh, probably uh, enough I think for uh, the Burnley uh, preview now um, I'm going to start to sort of set the tone and then you guys can kind of bring us up to a positive end so I'm uh, unfortunately going to go for Burnley to win 2-0 because I think we're just going to get out muscle we look quite fragile and we're going to get outscored um, let's go to Dan Sheldon I go 1-0 one 1-0 all. One all. ok Steve um,
2: well we're going to score because um, I think I think we're looking pretty looking pretty good going forward actually based on based on today but defensively you're a train wreck
3: 3-2 <laughs> defeat 3-2 defeat all right Glenn anything from you 2-1 defeat. 2-1 defeat. All we are right. We're, uh, I've got to say, um, we're doing well so far this season because out of our total of eight predictions, no one has got a single point yet. So just uh, proving that we are the professionals <laughs> at this. But uh, there we go. That means, so, we're, gonna, that
2: means, that means we're definitely going to win on Saturday.
3: <laughs> Fingers crossed. This is the Total Saints Podcast proudly underpinned by our TSP patrons. Well that's it for this week and indeed the first week of the new season. As Yaz once said, for the more mature listeners amongst us, the only way is up. Let's hope so. Thanks to Dan, Steve, Glenn and Francisco. We'll catch you next week after a few stiff drinks no doubt and catch our patrons on Thursday. Until then keep marching in.